Mike from Good Blokes. Um, as I as I said to you when I kind of rebranded it towards the end of last year, it's I probably should have done it the other way around and done a few Google searches beforehand, but I'd, I'd been using the name The Bloke for the last 10, 10 odd years or a decade and kind of describing what I was up to and what I was doing and then realized for me, it's like, no, this website's not ever, was never meant to be just about me or the bloke. It was always meant to be about blokes, about good blokes. And I kind of came across that name, changed the website URLs, did, every, did all of that and then thought, oh, hang on, let's do a Google search. And realized there was a gentleman just over the ditch who we've just noticed we've seemed to dress to get the same way and it, it, you know, as, as the world works. So I thought I'd get in touch uh, both to uh, have a chat and see what you're up to um, and also, yeah, hi- highlight your work. Um, right. Thanks for having me on. I guess the, the first question, which is probably the big one we're all working with, what is a good bloke these days? For years, it's been defined and changed and it gets pushed one way or the other way. And I think everyone from young boys through to middle-aged men to the older blokes who have seen things change. Um, yeah. Is, is there a definition these days or is it more just something we're, we're figuring out as we go? Yeah, it's a, look, it's a really good question. And it's a question that I get asked a lot having, having started an organisation called Good Blokes Co. It's, it's often, often the first question people <laughs> will ask me. And, and really, I, I named the business that because I want us to have a look about, you know, redefining what we mean when we say a, a good bloke. And I think, you know, in Australia, I imagine it's pretty similar in, in New Zealand, but I... Um, I, I feel like we talk about mateship a lot, um, but do we really have each other's backs? You know, do we really know how to look after a mate when when he's struggling? Um, mm. And you know, what is being a good bloke? Is it just about you know being able to have a couple of beers with a bloke, or is it more than that? And and I I want to help blokes to build those kind of mateships and those kind of friendships where they where they can have a have a beer and a game of pool, but they can also have a deeper chat and, and know how to support a bloke when. Um, when he's struggling. So, so for me, it's a bloke who knows how to have fun, a bloke who knows how to laugh, but also a bloke who's, who's actually willing to be there. A bloke, bloke who gives a shit is, is a, a phrase mm-hmm. I use a lot. I, I think if you want to be a good bloke, you've got to be willing to, um, willing to think about what that, what that really means and, and be shooting towards the best version of yourself. You're not going to get it right all the time, but um, I, just, I just think we've got to um, Think about what that potentially means and the impact we have on on young blokes and other people around us. The the impact we have on 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 women as well as a lot of women in the world saying that they don't feel safe and celebrated and and valued. And I think I think we can play a part in that. I think being a good bloke is is all of those things. Well, yeah, and I, for me, when I when I took on the name the bloke, I was looking for um, you know I was looking for a name to describe what I was doing. And to me, the the becoming blokey had almost become a slightly negative thing whereas it would been associated with um people drinking a lot of alcohol playing a lot of rugby not that there's necessarily anything wrong with either of those but it was almost like the 
the you became too blokey it was it's what i suppose people now almost would describe as the toxic masculinity or you just it's a little bit too much and then you could see it's shifted back the other way which most of us now understand is is there's there's these things called emotions and feelings and stuff that we also need to be able to integrate i think is is part of it um, but then you have the swing again, back the opposite way. We have guys now who are too blokey and they're now called toxic masculine. So that pushes back. It's this, this weird flux where it kind of pushes back and forward. And I think it becomes a bit of a challenge in to find, yeah, where that sweet spot is, is that um, not expected. I, I don't think expected because I think that's the issue is expectations has created some of these issues. Maybe just where it's healthy. Where is it, where is it healthy to be? Um, yeah, I, th- I think the, the key is for us to move away from other people's expectations of us as blokes. Like if you want to play lots of lots of footy and, and drink lots of beer, great. But if, yeah. you're, if you're only doing that because that's the only way to fit in, that's where it's an issue. And if that's the only type of bloke that we celebrate in our world, that's an issue as well because blokes who don't fit that mould feel like they're not valued as, as human beings. So... I want us to get to a point where we where we value footy and we value beer, but we also value dancing and and singing yep. and and poetry and being a nurse as a bloke and all of those things that might not necessarily as fit into that traditional mold. Let's value all the all the diversity of manhood. Let's let's celebrate break blokes who are winning on the on the footy field and on the on the on the cricket pitch as much as we celebrate blokes who are winning in in science and the creative arts and and all of those things yeah so you've sort of you've sort of talked about taking on that name as well i mean what was your background how did you get to decide that you wanted to form this company and 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 the other part of it is what exactly does what do, what do you do what is good blokes yeah, well, I was an acupuncturist for many years and um, most people know that acupuncture is good for back pain, but you can basically treat everything with that as, a, as an alternative complementary uh, therapy. And I really got into mental health stuff and I, I was treating a lot of people for insomnia and anxiety and depression and all these kinds of things. And, and it was a couple of um, personal uh, issues. My, my best mate, I nearly lost him to, to suicide. And in that moment, I realized that I was having all these conversations with these people at work, but I wasn't having these conversations about well-being and about mental health with my mates. Um, so one of my patients actually said, oh, you should come and sit in our men's group. And I'm like, oh, men's group, what's that? <laughs> so, so about oh, probably almost 10 years ago now, I, I got drawn into this world of sitting with groups of men and actually talking about what's real. And it was fa- absolutely fascinating to me in this idea that we could talk about stuff and the whole spectrum of what's going on in our lives from being happy and having hopes and dreams to being in despair and, and to, to really struggle. So I moved more and more into that space and into the rites of passage field in supporting um, boys to, to really think about what adulthood can, can mean to them. And I just got hooked on the idea of having conversations proactively. So Good Blokes Co. is primarily about... Um, starting the conversation around manhood and masculinity. So having places where teenage boys can talk about what is that shift? What is it about yeah. being an adult? And, and what is it about being a man that's shaped who I am? And what kind of man do, like I said before, who do I want to be versus what does society expect of me? Uh, and then for adult men to talk about, well, how can we be the best blokes we can be and potentially lead in our, in our workplaces yeah. and our homes and our, our communities? How can, we, how can we create spaces where blokes are okay to ask for help? where blokes are okay to admit that they're not everything's okay and blokes are 
like to know what healthy masculinity is and how to uh, respect women and lift women up without labeling blokes as the bad guys. So yep. yeah, we do retreats, we do father son camps, we do I do some parent presentations and corporate um, presentations around healthy, uh, positive manhood. It's interesting because I, I I've talked. This has got it gets interspersed in all the podcasts and shows and stuff I've done. But I mean the the real kernel of what I am doing now actually started many years ago, like three, four o'clock in the morning. And it was the after party. Basically, it was the after parties. I was DJing. I, I spent 10 years in the, the nightclub scene. But I always found myself drifting back to those after parties because that's when the party had been done and you had a small group of generally guys, but not, it was sometimes mixed, in a lounge. Someone was playing music. Often I was the guy DJing at that point because that's where I kind of like to play the music to that group of people. Yeah. And you would have these conversations that, um, to be fair, many times we'd been aided by certain, um, what do we call them, social lubricants yeah. Um, yeah. To, to enable those conversations, um, which, interesting, have their own history that ties into exactly what we were doing. It's just they yeah. got went on a different path. Um, but we used to talk about this notion of being, it was pre wasn't quite pre-internet, but it was certainly pre-Zoom meetings or having these chats and everything. And it was just like, wouldn't it be great to have a fly-on-the-wall camera set up where we could just record these conversations that guys and people were having? Not necessarily to to teach or anything, but really just to, to showcase and document so people could see, oh, other people have these conversations. It's okay to have these conversations. And it always struck me, and, it, and I've, I've realized over the years, I didn't need those um to be out you know to wee hours of the morning and to be on various things to have these conversations but it's sometimes tricky and it takes i think to me it takes a lot of bravery on both people's side of things to be able to drop straight into those conversations um but over the years i've learned the quicker i can do that the more fruitful it is for both parties because they're great we want to have we don't want to talk about the weather and necessarily about what the national uh, sports team is doing. People want, people are yearning to have conversations. Absolutely. I think that's the huge thing. Like, and, and when I talk about, I hear people say, oh, blokes don't want to talk about the real stuff. They don't want to talk about the emotions. I think most blokes are really ready for that conversation, but still mm. our normal workplaces, our sports clubs, our communities aren't places where those conversations feel safe. And, and a lot of us as men will have had that experience of, of, of opening up about something that's a little bit vulnerable and someone else will, will take the piss, make light of it, make, make a joke in, in some way. So a large part of what I do is, is helping blokes to gain the skills to have that conversation either with a group or, or with a mate because there's, there's social lubricants that aren't alcohol and aren't, aren't drugs out sure. there. there. There's actually ways to make those conversations and to normalise those conversations that I think we need and I think we want. And I think humans have always had, when you when you think about what life was like, you know, back in the day, we're out in the day doing all the work and getting things done and farming and getting food and, and building shelters. And then at night, we'd gather around the fire and we would have deeper conversations. How are you going? How are your relationships going? How's work going? Um, how you, are you looking after yourself? As well as, you know, who's going to win the rugby on the weekend? You know, I think those are still important conversations yeah, to have. Yeah. But we need to be able to take that conversation deeper. And I think what most blokes don't realise is actually skills involved in that. So that's what we do in our men's retreat, on our good blokes retreats. Like, let's learn the skills to help your mates to open up, which obviously you benefit yourself when, when you can do that on a, on a regular basis. 
Well, yeah, I think I think that's the thing. It's sometimes, yeah, uh, it, it requires a facilitator to actually yeah. guide and to push and, and nudge people a little bit and go, cool, it's, this is what we're going to be kind of talking about. And it's, it's something I've noticed. I had a conversation with uh, Mike King recently. He's a gentleman here in New Zealand who's campaigning pretty hard for mental health, particularly for kids. Yeah. Um, but it, it was also something, it was a conversation from some guys uh, um, in the US, actually, an uh, organization called Walk the Talk America. And these were a group of therapists and um, counselors. And, you know, they, they actually talked a lot about their qualifications and, and everything. But they were interviewing a gentleman who didn't have qualifications, qualifications, yeah. but was facilitating these conversations and, and talking about these things. And it tied it back to something that Mike had said that the problem, not the, the challenge we've got at the moment is because we've lost that sort of guys talking to each other when somebody has a trouble that uh, trouble they tend to sometimes get dive straight into therapy drive dive yeah. straight into that the the medical side of things which is can sometimes be the the ambulance at the bottom of the hill whereas i think we've lost for a lot of us is the ability to have these conversations with other guys and blokes and, and friends and everything so we don't even need to go that far we don't need to jump straight to a therapist but that's not to say that there isn't still some structure and like you're doing somebody to facilitate it yeah um it just doesn't have to become a medical thing or it doesn't have to be uh it can be a lot lighter in in certain ways totally. yeah 100 percent. i think we we certainly if, if if everything's not okay then you need a therapist it's very black yeah. and white this view that we have in our world <clears throat> excuse me I think it's it's worth noticing that there's there's a hundred steps in between. I'm fine and I'm in crisis mode. There's a lot of yep. things in between that could do with a conversation. Like, oh, I'm struggling a bit a bit at work. Like, there's a conversation that doesn't need a, a therapist. I'm not sure if my I'm um, I'm getting out of work what I wanted to get out of it, or whether it's the right career direction. You don't need a therapist for that. I'm having some troubles with my with my son. I don't know how to talk to him about X, Y, and Z. You don't need a therapist for that either. There's there's a million conversations in there that I think we're missing out on as, as blokes because we think, oh, talking about anything deep and meaningful is, is only for people who are really struggling and it's, it's only mm. for psychotherapists. I think, you know, whether you're a facilitator or, or a leader, I think we need spaces, spaces where we can facilitate more of these conversations. And I think that actually prevents a lot of us from getting to that crisis point. Yeah. Yep. Which, which then the other point is it means we're not overloading that system, which really in some ways should be dealing for those, just dealing on those people who are at that crisis yeah. point. And yep. as um, I'm just trying to think the words, Mike was, he sort of said, we're, we're giving formula one mechanics, basic servicing work or stuff that shouldn't be the, the issue, yep. you know, and, there, the, and there's no doubt, I'm sure the same Australia, the, the health systems, mental health system, everything will be overloaded. So the waiting list to see psychologists in, in my yeah. town of Perth is is ridiculous at the moment. Yeah. And and it's two things then. One, hopefully it's a case of we can kind of talk and not necessarily always provide. You don't always have to provide the answers. I've realized that. But sometimes just being able to have these conversations with each other. I one, think it's actually important on that note not to provide the answers, to, to yeah. be actually standing beside someone and go and just really listening it's one of the big things that we talk about helping him define his own solutions i think is more powerful than me saying saying you need to do this you need it you need to do that just listening from a place of empathy and encouraging them to get you know to find their own solutions to get support if they need it for some for some blokes they might need to see a psychologist hmm. and, and it might be a mate who said yep 
mate, you really need to get to see a site because I'm worried about you. That might be the support that they need. Whereas it might be just helping them to brainstorm their own solutions to something that yep. might not need that level of support. Well, it's something I realised in the last couple of years, I've been um, on, and, on and off again, it'll be on again soon, is actually seeing a counsellor because yeah. <laughs> we'll call it years of neglect. And it, it's sort <laughs> of right, okay, we need to actually start dealing with this. Yeah. And I even said to the, the counsellor I was talking to, it's like I've realised what I... Yes, I have friends and people I could talk to about it. But in this case, I need someone who has a bit of an understanding of the structure and the working of actually how to essentially tease it out of me is, is, would be yeah. the, the way of looking at it. But yeah. at the flip side, I'm realizing they're just a mirror. They're just mirroring everything back in, in some ways. And it is me just working through, but they just know how to keep that going when, when it actually starts going. And I think that for a, for a person running a retreat or account or anyone, that's, that's a good part of it. It's, we often have the answers ourselves. We just need to be allowed maybe to come to them, I suppose. 100%. And that's, that's really the skill in, in facilitation of, of the sort of retreats that I, that I run. So I run men's retreats and I also teach facilitation skills to sometimes to teachers or to people in other kind of groups that want to run these sort of, sort of camps. And, and a, lot of it's, a lot of it is, particularly for us as men, it's putting down this, this need to be in charge and to need to be the boss and to need to have the answers when we drop that need that I have to fix this person, which is, I think, as men, how we're kind of programmed, you know, yeah. have the answers, be in charge, take charge, be the boss. Well, in this case, I'm just I'm just sitting next to you and I'm just listening and I'm just helping you to sort of draw it out. So that's a it's a different set of skills. Facilitation skills in that space are hugely important skills, um, whether whether you're facilitating a process like that or whether you're just a, a leader of a, of a group of men, I think, to mm. promote those deeper conversations. Well, when I saw you were facilitating men's groups, it was it was something quite familiar to me. So growing up, um, my parents were, the, the term born again hippies is, is not quite correct. There was that alternative lifestyle. There was, an alter, there was a resurgence of an alternative, alternative lifestyle coming through in New Zealand mm. a few years ago. My parents are very much involved with it. Um, my mother is a um, you know massage therapist, but then also pulsing, and then the old the other sister, you know, all the way through to some people who are doing crystal healing and all sorts of stuff. But sweat lodges were certainly something that was also there as well. Yeah. And I, I, it was something I, I reflected on a while ago. Is we used to belong, and the, the wording's quite interesting. My my mother and father used to belong to something called the boys club. And the yeah. boys club was basically a group of guys and their, their partners and kids and everything um, going out and uh, doing tramping or restaurants or everything like that. But ultimately, I don't think I think it was a lot of drinking and partying. Right. And then that kind of disbanded. And years later, I remember dad and I don't know if he formed it or was involved with it, but quite regularly, there was a group of men that would come over as a men's group. And there was no alcohol and there was no obviously other things. And it, they were sitting around basically talking. And I was too young, I suppose, to be involved or to see it. But my father had already known that he'd been involved with a group of people with like that. And um, although mum mum was a nurse and a, a healer by any definition, dad did it his own way. He was a lot more stoic. And that was the men yeah, nice. sitting around <laughs> talking. So... Yeah, it's something that's always been sitting in the background for what I've done is like, well, yeah, there's that gap. And, and unfortunately, the sitting from, a, say, the hunters, I'm involved with the firearms industry and the hunters, that idea of sitting around the campfire and stuff now is there's conversations to be had um, that potentially go a little bit deeper than um, maybe they are, are at the moment. So, 
Yeah, and, and I think what you're hinting to <clears throat> there is, a lot, like I said before, we've always had these kind of conversations yep. and, and we're clutching at different ways to make them happen. You know, for a lot of, for a lot of people, I think alcohol is something they use because they want to get into that, that um, state of intimacy and, and is it normal for me to have a conversation with my mate? Oh, well, it's normal for me to say, let's go to the pub and have a beer, so we'll yep. do that. Um, so I think if we're trying to find a healthier form of it, it's like, well, what are we using in, instead of alcohol? Maybe we're going fishing. Maybe we're having a hit of tennis. Maybe we're going to kick the footy around. It's like you've got to find something that's, that's that common thread, that catalyst for, um, for, bringing, for bringing people together. And then if you, you know, if you set a bit of an intention, oh, we're actually here for a proper chat. On, like on my, on my men's retreats, there's there's no phones. We go to places, no reception anyway. Yeah. But I, I say to like beautiful places, those yeah. they're rare, but they're beautiful places these days. Don't bring your phone. Don't bring your laptop. Don't bring your work, and don't bring any booze. And yeah. if blokes show up to explore these topics without alcohol on their phone, eighty percent of the work is done. Mm. You know, just just in coming there with the same intention and without those those distractions. I think at the same time, and it's something I'm exploring, funnily enough, with fishing, is is almost having some backdrop or some activity for, for, for blokes to be doing while they have those conversations. And it might be the conversation that fits in between throwing bait over. Or I noticed, uh, look on your site, and there's a lot of almost what I'd call bushcraft sort of territory, yeah. but it's out in the bush. But so it gives you some framing and some context for that to be within rather than two guys just standing at each other opposite chairs or, you know, and just it's right, right. We're going to yeah. nut this out. It's like, all right, we're in an environment. We've kind of set a bit of a tone and everything, but now the, let's have those conversations and let them just flourish as well. Yeah. Well, two things in bringing another activity in like, you know, carving a wooden spoon or whatever it is, um, you're usually sitting beside each other rather than sitting down one-on-one saying, yep. let's have a serious conversation. Or we do a bit of bushwalking. We go for a long walk and chat with the person next to you. Uh, it's much less confronting than sit down in front of him and tell him your deepest, darkest secrets. Yep. Um, so it does that. It sort of takes a bit of the pressure off and just dropping a you know conversation prompt, let's talk about work or let's talk about relationships or whatever. And and so the the hiking or the fishing or the or the crafting or whatever it is, provides a bit of a you know it, it helps us to drop the guard but but also on a second level we actually need fun and, and friendship mm. um neuroscientists talk now about three different levels of connection that we need we need the common common sense of purpose we need a, a deeper sense of emotional support but we also need fun and friendship you actually need yeah. people in your life that you can have a laugh with tell some jokes like i said you know, have it a tennis, have it go for a jog together, go fishing, um, whatever it might be. That's actually an important part of it. So I used to think around those activities were just a way into the deeper conversations. I now realise they're, they're an absolutely crucial part of it. It's, it's almost impossible to have those deeper conversations without having something else to, to sort of knit us together with. Mm. Well, it's something I've, I've watched a little bit of what you're doing and you mentioned earlier is rites of passage and it's another another thing that seems to have disappeared at least and i i, I talk from my perspective which is what european kiwi european based you know there's indigenous cultures that still have these and are still yeah. using them although yeah even even as we get more urbanized we they seem to lose it as well um but there's some I, I was actually doing some research do you and this is going to might sound slightly ignorant but in australia do you guys do the yardie at a 21st or is that actually a kiwiism 
it can be a thing in Australia and certain certain parts of the world yeah. that can be, you know. And and so the whole thing for me is that it's it's not actually that rites of passage has disappeared. Yeah. We just create our own versions. And when, when you look at the rites of passage framework and how historically it's been done throughout history across cultures, it's a community experience. There's the presence of mentors. There's a real intentionality. There's a community marking this boy as a, as a young man. Uh, there's deeper conversations. There's reflection. There's, there's some clarity for him. You know, this is your role in our community now. This is what we need from you. This is what being a man is. Uh, and there's challenge. So in the Western world, we've taken that challenge aspect and gone, oh, that's a rite of passage. Yeah. The challenge aspect is only is only one piece of it, whether that was hunting a lion or surviving by yourself in the in the bush for a week. It's an important part because we need to know as an adult that we are capable of, of looking after ourselves and, and contributing to a society. But we've dropped all the other parts out, the sense of meaning and, and purpose and community and mentorship and, and intention. Um, so we have a big thing around uh, leavers or schoolies we have over here. I'm sure you have something similar to that when you finish mm. year 12, you go out and drink as many beers as you can and sleep with as many people as you can. And is that actually supporting young people to become adults? I, I don't think it really helps, nor, nor drinking a yard glass of beer on your 21st or yeah. any of those things. So it's not that rites of passage don't exist. It's that we're just not really aware and, and conscious and switched on in terms of what we're doing and and we're not as a community gathering around young men and saying hey this is what we think being a, a healthy young man is what's your version how can we support you to be the best mm. person you want to be we're kind of we're kind of leaving young blokes in the dark and then wondering why they're falling off the edge of a cliff and why they're driving their car into a tree or a tree and and why they're assaulting a, a young woman when we haven't actually given them the the skills around negotiating a, a healthy happy life yeah it's something i reflect on because i mean for my 21st i didn't do the yardie I, there was no way i was going to by that point the um it just didn't uh, assign uh, you know my my journey into manhood did not include drinking 1.5 liters of flat coke without uh, beer without throwing up it didn't didn't yeah. mesh with me you know yeah. but but at the flip side i was also that time in my life it was just there was um i was basically starting to deal with some childhood trauma and everything so i was but what, what I reflect back on is what you've said. There was also no structural. There was no, yeah, there was no handing over of the mantle going, right, now, yeah. not, and not to say that, oh, you're a man now, so you've got to do this and responsibilities, but there was no surrounding with the men in my life going, welcome to that next step. And I, I think for a lot of, for a lot, I mean, even people doing a, a 21st yardie, that's still not going to like help them. So mm. yeah, there, there's this, there's almost this feeling of, you know, I'm still a kid. Where where was this change into manhood and what did that actually mean? And now I've got kids of my own and I still feel like I'm still trying to figure out to how I, you know, I'm not ready for adulting. <laughs> what's what's yeah. going on here? It's, um, it's, a, it's a common experience. And when when I, you know, I work with boys in, in high schools at times and we talk about, you know, they're in year 10, they're 16 years old and, you know, you're, you're in the body of a young man and you're yep. at that stage in your life making choices that will affect you for the rest of your life, potentially your mates and, and other people around you. You're making choices, you know, at the end of year 11, you go, you go to a party, you have three beers, you go upstairs with someone, you're making choices in that moment yep. that can affect you and that other person for the rest of your life. 
But do you have at that point a clear expectation and a clear idea of what you think being a being a good man is? And I don't think we're surrounding boys with conversations around manhood and around around mental health and around resilience and around respect for women and, and all of that kind of stuff. So as a consequence, I ask most men, you know, when did you first feel like a man? And often they'll say, oh, when I had kids or when I became the boss of work or when we bought a house or these big moments. And I'm like, how old were you? And they're somewhere between 25 and 45. And it's like, well, when were you in a man's body? And when did you start making decisions that had that kind of massive impact? And they're like, oh, 15. So we're leaving blokes with this gap of 10, 20, 30 years of, yep. of not actually knowing what's expected of us. We're not, we're not marking, you are a man now, let's hear who you want to be and we are going to support you and hold you to account to your own idea of, of what manhood is. Well, what I think is even more borderline terrifying is what fills that gap then. If it's not there, then what yeah. do guys turn to? They're, they're going to um, the social media that we know of, porn but replacing sex education. You know, it's just like okay, so that's that's apparently what is expected, and that is how how an inter- interaction actually is. It's like no, but it'll happily fill the void. So people, what people think the norms are, has just become this this. Well, it's not really, but it, it does yeah. become their norm. I mean, this is the thing: it's normal is just what is normal again doesn't mean it's healthy it just means it's normal to you yeah and learning learning via learning about sex via porn i don't think is a great education in the same no. way that learning about manhood from a combination of your mates and youtube is probably not a great place to learn about that and think about all those tiny little messages they're getting on a, on a constant basis from from movies from you know hip-hop music videos from yeah. from gaming which tends to be ultra masculine ultra violent and and those messages from society look at the look at the evolution of batman look at 1950s batman to 1990s batman to mod it just gets hyper hyper yeah. hyper masculine you know and so they get these messages saying oh you're supposed to be soft and tender and delicate and vulnerable and and respectful and on the other hand you're supposed the to be a tough guy and yeah. have all the muscles and don't cry and don't be a pussy and, and yeah. don't be weak and don't back down and and, and I think these messages are really confusing and I think boys need to understand and men need to understand, yes, we need to be courageous and vulnerable and open and honest and we need to be resilient and accountable and, and strong. And it's not, like, it's not like being vulnerable makes us soft and weak or being authentic makes us soft and weak. Um, we actually need to be more resilient and, and more accountable and more reliable, I think, as men. We, we need more yan, yang and more, more yin. It's not like one takes yep. away from the other. Well, I sometimes wonder, and the words become tricky with this, but there's almost a confusion, I think, in some ways, between the, the males and females and masculine and feminine. Because feminine is is not necessarily meaning you're a female. It is just certain attributes. And again, there may be better words for this, but it's like, no, you you say the yin and the I did many years of Tai Chi. So you're very, mm. you become very aware that both need to occur for you to be a whole. Otherwise, if in their case, if you've got more yang than yang or more yin than yang, you're gonna end up sick one way or the other. It's out of balance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 that. Again, I guess I, it's that people trip over the terminology, but it's the the feminine, which may describe emotional things and anything like that, doesn't make you any less of a man just because you are able to express those parts of it. 
and vice versa for women who are who like to go hunt or be quite sporting or anything it doesn't make them less of a woman it just there's just different aspects and they're all it's all important again to be able to i think integrate them is probably the key to it yeah and look in, in my from my history as an acupuncturist we always think like yin and yang oppose each other we know that fire fire um yeah. can boil water and water puts out the fire but what we don't often talk about in our Western culture is they actually rely on each other. You can't have day without night. You can't go and do heaps of work unless you had a good seven hours of sleep. Mm. Um, so we actually need both of those things. We need to go out and do the work or we're sitting on the couch or all day eating potato chips. And we also need to rest and look after ourselves sometimes or you literally you die without sleep. Mm. And so some of us in this, in this men's work kind of field are all about strengthening our masculinity and, and resilience and all of that and that's important but you actually need both to have a ha healthy happy life and and there's almost this in this strength and resilience idea it's like you know this idea that emotions are a bad thing well, well guess what we're human beings and emotions are driving us in every minute and the more you actually build an awareness of that the more resilient you can be so it's like it's not like emotional intelligent intelligence turns us into softies Emotional intelligence actually makes us stronger, more resilient, more more um, able to stay in line with our with our values and who we want to be. Mm. I think it's good now because we have, uh, and and everyone has their loves and hates. But you were seeing men who are what you would consider basically big, strong, outdoors kind of guys who are still able to express emotion and and yep. cry and show that, you know, there is, a, it, it can be both or it could be, you don't have to be a huge guy to have it at the same time, you know. So it's, it's good seeing that we've got, um, we'll call them role models coming out. But I guess the flip side then is back to that notion. There's so much um, online of potential role models, information or anything like that. It becomes kind of overwhelming i mean even for me i'm trying to it's great i i think of any question in the world and i can google it and try and find some answers but i can also find three or four conflicting answers that will give you scientifically proven completely opposite answers or <laughs> how much salt, salt should you have i did it today how much salt should we get oh, you need to reduce your salt no no, no you need to increase your salt into and it's yeah. Both are backed by science both are both by doctors so it becomes i can i can see and that's me just figuring out my salt intake. How to be a man is, I don't know if I'd want to even put more. that into Google. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the big thing is for me is, look, there's, if you Google, you know, what is a real man, you get, you'll get a million different answers on that. And, and I think really the key thing is to think, well, who do you want to be? Mm. Uh, one of the big things we do in our programs is, well, what, is, what do you want your life to look like? What are you trying to create for yourself and the people around you? And what kind of man do you want to be? Um, and, and that, I think, is the most important thing. And, and I think we can get a bit confused and a bit lost because we're not having these conversations and we don't have people guiding us towards healthy manhood. But I think you can get really lost down, you know, in traps on, on YouTube and all these other different yep. places where you can find all these theories on what men essentially are. And I think it's really important at times to put that shit down and think, well, who do I want to be? What's important to me? What are my values? What I'm passionate about? Who do I want to be? And then use that as your GPS and, and as your compass for making your life decisions rather than anyone else's expectations of what, what a man should be. Which is sometimes what's also interesting is that requires space. So you're back to this notion of going out without a phone, without that yep. external stimulus. 
Yeah. Um, and for some people, it's the guru on the mountain, just going sitting and, and sitting on the mountain and giving yourself some space, which is, I think, and for myself included sometimes, is it, it's slightly frightening because you're never quite sure what you're going to find there when you actually, you know, give yourself that space to actually think and, and reflect. And, you know, it's that worry of, well, what might I find looking back at me when I peer down into the abyss? <laughs> yeah, and I think that well, number one, it's hard for us to find time to find three days yeah. off to go and sit without your without your phone. And you know, often at the start of the retreats, like who who regularly has three days without your phone, and no one puts their hand up. But I think that that fear as well, it's around. It, it comes from that socialization we have as men to not have any problems, not show any weakness, not have any vulnerability. And there's a fear like, well, if I open it up, what if I'm afraid of stuff? What if I'm sad about things? What if I'm angry about things? And, you know, spoiler alert, you are. (laughs) You get sad about things, you get afraid of things, you get angry about things. And actually, the more you build awareness and get better at sitting with those emotions, the more you know who you are, who you want to be, what kind of man you want to be in all those different situations. So I think it's absolutely crucial to, and our, our programs are, are really mindful. We go for a walk in the bush and like, think about what's hard. Think about what's great. Think about where you want to be. And it takes all of the, the pressure off and just, just be okay with what, what comes up. I think, I think the time and space is absolutely, absolutely crucial. Mm. So what, what types of men do you or what groups of men do you have coming in? I mean, is it, I, mm. I would assume by the time you go, right, I want to go to one of these groups or something like that, you're already kind of on the path. You're looking for something, I would imagine. But yeah, have well, you found? Yeah, it varies, it varies quite a bit. So, the, you know, we go for 18 plus. We've had 18-year-olds uh, on our retreat and the oldest blokes we've had was 76. So we get a real range yeah. there. We get a cultural range of blokes who've grown up in, in, in WA in, in Western Australia and, and blokes from all over, from, you know, Singapore and a bloke from um, New Jersey on the most recent retreat. So, so cultural backgrounds, diversity. But in terms of what kind of bloke, you know, I talk about it a lot as 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 a good bloke's retreat is a leadership retreat. It's a place to learn those skills so we can guide future generations. So we do attract a lot of dads, you know, particularly blokes who've recently become a dad um, uh, and, and people that want to make a change, you know, at the hockey club or, or in the workplace or whatever. And we also get blokes who are really struggling. So there's often a, a spectrum from blokes who really need help and are lonely and isolated towards blokes who are really willing to have an impact on their world. But the, the thing is, those blokes that are ready to lead kind of have to unpack this stuff within ourselves. I think if we're going to lead a healthy culture of manhood and masculinity, we've got to think about how this has shaped us ourselves. For me, as a leader in this space, you know, being a real man has made me a real workaholic and that that drive to be the provider still really affects my ability to relax and, and to wind down. So yeah. how can I create spaces for blokes to unpack that to themselves unless I'm really ready to sort of unpack that for myself? So I think us as leaders, we have to look in the, into the dark of our own selves, which, as you said, can be scary. But also as blokes who are struggling, we need to consider ourselves as leaders because if if you're really struggling, well, what impact are you having on your partner? What impact are you having on your kids? You're, you're probably not having the impact you want, whether, whether that's a struggle with sadness and depression or, or anger issues and, and violence. Um, you know, this is a chance for you to lead and, and every impact, every sort of interaction you have with another person is potentially leadership. So, yeah, we, we attract blokes that are really anywhere on the spectrum from 
I'm struggling, I'm in crisis towards I'm doing really well and I, I want to I give back. So, yeah, it's a really fascinating diversity mm. that, we, that we get on the retreats. It's really interesting. Well, I think the thing is that there's a, like I get tired, I guess, of listening to um, people who have been financially successful, successful in all these different things and then have this flip and then start telling people how they need to be living their lives and be more mindful and everything. And you're like, well, yeah, but you've also, you're out out the other end of it. I, I've always found it more interesting of people where I can relate more to people who are along, uh, on the path of that journey rather than, um, yeah, have sort of done it the other way, made all their money, done everything, and now can turn around and go, okay, well, now I can meditate for eight hours a day. And that's what you need to be doing as well for yeah. it. And I've got, it's just, I can do it eight hours a day because I've got a private chef and all these different bits and pieces. I find the stories of the gentlemen who are on that path or starting on that path to be way more interesting, way more fruitful to me because I can relate. Um, yeah, it's probably the biggest thing. I can actually relate to them. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing for all of us as men to, to explore sort of how it's affecting me. And for me as a leader, I'm constantly sharing my stories of, of what I struggle with now, whether it's my relationship with my kids or my relationship with my, with my wife or, like I said, my, my difficulty in still being a workaholic. I, I think mm. we hear a lot of people, even in the mental health now space, we, we hear people talk about, oh, I used to have anxiety and, and, and now I've got no... We, we don't that often hear people say, I'm actually having a rubbish day. How often on yep. social media do you hear people saying... I had a rubbish day. I, I couldn't get out of bed this morning. I tried to do some work for my computer. I went back to bed again. And we're, we're just not hearing those stories. And I think the more we hear people open up and share our stories, the more other people can come with us. And I think that's where honesty, vulnerability uh, is probably the most powerful form of, of leadership in this space. And that's what, like you said, that's what engages people. And that's what brings people in. Well, it's like I say, it's a lot more relatable. I mean, I've had a, a thing recently, you know, I've become aware of it. So I, I have a lot to do with firearms, firearms licensing and stuff in New Zealand as well. And we have, I think, as a bit of an issue is if, if you want to see a bloke who's nervous about talking about his issues or anything like that, well, one, take a bloke, two, take a guy who's now got a firearms license, potentially has a perception of losing all of that the moment he goes to talk to a counsellor or anything or ask for help like that. So, yeah, it just compounds and it's been important for me to kind of, which is part of the shift for me into the good blokes and the, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing now is going, right, I'm on that process. I have a firearms license. I'm going through counselling. I have issues like everybody else on it, but that we just get on and do it. And, and this is how I'm doing it. And hopefully other guys see it and go, oh, okay, well, that's, it's not as it, that, that fear that I have of what might happen. Well, if I can document it and show it to others, then it makes it easier for other people to do and, and to do themselves. So yeah, ab absolutely. And that, that fear around if I admit to any problems, I'm going to get fired from my job and, you yeah. know, like I said, lose my license or, or whatever it might be. But I think the reality of the situation is you can be emotional and still get on with the job. And we know yep. that because most of us have been doing it for years. <laughs> you know, I had to put, I had to put my dog down two years ago. I tell this story a lot and, and I was really emotional. She was, she was 15, but I had to be the one who had to make the call and say, yeah, yep. let's pull the pin on her life. And, and I was sad because I was going to miss her, but also mostly because I had to be the one who made that decision. Mm. That that weight really weighed on me. And I was like, what if I denied her another month or so of, of life? And I can remember the next day mowing the lawn and just my face flooding with tears. And what was interesting about that for me is that it didn't stop me from mowing the lawn. 
It didn't stop me yeah. from doing a good job of mowing the lawn. It didn't didn't make me even take longer to mow the lawn. I was just crying at the same time. And, and sometimes when you're struggling, you need to take a day off. But a lot of other times you can just be having a rubbish day and get on with it. Like you can actually go to work and say, how are you going, Jeff? Yeah, I'm actually really struggling, but I still mm. think I can get that project done by three. Or, yep. yeah, I'm really struggling. I might need an extra hour or so to get that project done. Or, you know, I think we can be honest about that kind of stuff because, this whole idea that we can leave our personal lives at home is it, absolute rubbish. Like that, that emotional stuff is, is fueling us and, yeah. and driving us a lot of the time. Let's just be a bit more honest about it so we can support each other better. Well, I think the danger is, is if you don't do that and, and allow it to come forward, which is something I'm learning of those emotions come forward is not trying to instantly clamp, clamp down and repress on them. At some time, they just build and build and build. And I've had times in my life where you just get to the point where you are non-functional because there's just so much that is built up that your brain, in my case, response mechanism is basically switch off for lack of a better term. And just, I'm just not capable of doing anything. And it hasn't happened for many years now because of process of working this through. But I remember as a kid, that was the same thing as if, if my, uh, then the, the girlfriend split with me, well then for yeah about a day, I was pretty much almost in fetal position, Yeah, but that's because, I didn't know how to actually express or just let it out. Whereas the reality is it probably if I'd actually had a good cry and been lost and everything for that for a while, like you say, then we can carry on moving on. But if there's this blockage there at some point, yeah, systems will just stop. Um, it's been, it's been something I have noticed. I've said this to a few people and it's, I've, I've talked to a few people and I'm, I know I'm not the only person, but ever since uh, becoming a, a father, I now find myself, it, it, the things that trigger you emotionally have changed. And the, the thing that I find, which I, it's great, I don't mind, at the same time I find it kind of hilarious, is some kids' programs, you see this <laughs> little message about fatherhood. And my yeah. little girls occasionally turn around, she's like, Daddy, why are you crying? I'm like, oh. <laughs> It's pretty hard for me to explain why that robot man and that, that completely <laughs> random thing has just triggered me, but it's something to do with childhood or an interaction between a parent and a child. And I'm just learning now. It's like, one, it's okay for my kids to see me cry. I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily have to explain it. I'm just like, look, it's, it's just something as, as a father now I find that, that triggers. It's awesome. It's all good. It's all good, kids. Um, and then, then within 30 seconds, it's gone and we're on to something else. But yeah, sometimes it's just like, what, where did that one come from? Because it, like I say, there's a giant stomping robot or something, which is the archetypical, you know, father saving a little child thing. And he's like, oh, it just overwhelms, but it's a good, it's a vent. It's almost like a pressure relief valve i think that just lets me vent and then and carry on as well so yeah and if we don't if we don't release that pressure valve now and again it's it's just not healthy and we know that's really not healthy to be suppressing emotions all the time so yeah look there's a few things in what you've just said i think it's hugely crucial for us to be modeling that towards future generations like yep we can we can cry mm. and and that's okay. And like you said, it comes and it goes and it, and it doesn't ruin your day. It's more likely to ruin your day if you're pretending that it's that it's not there. And, and I think as well, you know, I've had those emotional moments watching kids' movies and all that kind of stuff. But we're really, I think, as men, when we become fathers, well, look, I'll just speak from my own experience. Becoming a father really made me think about what what is manhood and, you know, how much of how my father was with me, how much of that do I want to pass on? Like my dad gave me some incredible traits and was an incredible dad in many ways, but he was also, um, you know, a, 
post-traumatic stress disorder Vietnam veteran who wasn't great at managing his anger and I didn't want to pass those on and I saw myself, you know, naturally reacting in certain ways and it took a lot of work for me to get better at managing my emotions um, as well as displaying those emotions for my kids. So, yeah, it can be such a huge moment, those those uh, key sort of parenting moments and those vulnerable moments with the kids where you where you're feeling that emotion and look i just encourage men to lean into the lean into the challenge of being emotional in in front of your kids i think it's i think it's useful for them to know that it's actually okay it's okay to get sad it's okay to get cry it's okay to be angry it's not not okay to be violent with another person yeah but it's okay to be angry it's okay to be afraid it's not okay to stop doing everything because you're afraid of it um it's okay to be sad it's not okay to stay at home for for a month from school just because your girlfriend broke up with you, you know? So let's manage those emotions better and, and um, know how to know how to express them and start to build a vocabulary. Sometimes as, as young blokes, we're taught to not have any emotions and not have any feelings. Well, how are we supposed to build a vocabulary for even knowing how to express it if, we, if we're pretending they're not there, you know? Mm. I, I had a great one recently. My five-year-old had been one of those, I'd probably lack of sleep, not, all things, they all fit. And it was just a day where I was having a few issues in, in fatherhood. And she turned around to me, bless her, and she basically tapped me on the arm and said, you're doing okay, Dad. You're doing okay. <laughs> I love it. I was like, Thank you. That's all I need. And then yeah. we're off again. So, yeah, it's like you say, be- becoming a father is one of those things where you're like, all right, now we're going to figure this out on top of still figuring out all these other questions as well. So, yeah. yeah. And those acts of kindness are just beautiful moments to, to celebrate. And I don't think that means that, you know, that, you know, they, we worry sometimes that our kids will have to look after us. And, and I think they still know that you've got their back and they know that you're yeah. the dependable one. I, I don't think, you know, showing the, the vaguest bit of emotion um, makes us uh, appear any less stable for our kids. I think if we start to practice actually being being aware of our emotions, I, I think our kids actually see us as more stable and, and more supportive for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they know you're human then as well. Exactly. They're, you know, yeah. they're a lot smarter. I, I think the great thing is with kids is um, they just often don't have those social constructs or filters or expectations already formed. They're yeah. forming very quickly. That's yeah. the, I can see they're forming very quickly, but you have those moments where you're like, yeah, actually that's the, that's the way I should be reacting to something, but I've got now of 40 something years of filters and stuff on top of it. That's, that's shaping how I think I should be reacting to it. And there's moments of it. Where it's like, Oh, actually that's, what you're doing right now, not having tantrums on the floor because I can't have ice cream, but there's certain things where you're like, yeah, actually that's that I can learn from you. That's, that's been the big Absolutely. thing as well. And particularly for me having two, two little girls, because I, I had a brother, we were two boys. So it's a, it's a different world for me as well, seeing yeah. that. So, which has been awesome. So. Yeah. And I think we, we need to be really mindful of those, you know, those constructs that we're passing on to our kids that, that girls should be a certain way or that boys should be a certain way. And, and that, you know, am I as, as soft and, and vulnerable and, and tender with my, with my nephews as I am with my nieces? And because yep. all of those little tiny interactions teach boys that, you know, that this is how I'm supposed to be in the world. And when we, you know, when you meet a couple and we, we hug the mum and we shake hands with the dad, is that showing the son like, oh, cuddling and softness and intimacy is okay for women, but not okay for men, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think we have to make a conscious decision about how we want to be with all these tiny little interactions because every interaction is 
is modeling for kids are like sponges, you know, they just they just yeah. suck that stuff up. All and all of the bits that we're not even thinking about. <laughs> Good, bad, otherwise it doesn't matter. Yeah. They don't you can't be selective. Yeah, exactly. But I remember dad, dad used to be, you know, our family were all were, physical contact was good. It would hug my father and everything. But I remember dad saying he didn't hug his, his father to granddad was something like 80 something years old. Yeah. Well. And, and, you know, he was World War II ex-soldier, certain, you know, very loving, no question about it, but there was physical contact was been a thing. And it's been interesting for me as a flip side, cause even in work environments where I go to tap somebody on the shoulder, bloke, female, whatever it is, that I always, at least in the back of my head, have to go, okay, well, not everyone may necessarily be as comfortable with me just tapping them on the shoulder with it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a management thing of it as well. Um, although I find most people, a, a tap on the shoulder is normally, the, the, whether, the, you know, so um, it's been interesting. Now, now post-COVID, we're probably all scared of germs and people contacting each other. So we're going to have another yeah. almost generation of dealing with that, which is... It's quite interesting because... How do you even greet people? Is it the elbow thing or the handshake or, or whatever? One of the things that comes up for me there is the thing I talk about with blokes is what I call the intimacy gap. So your dad, who grew up without hugs from his father for 70 years or, or yeah. 50 years or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll let you work out the maths. Um, yeah. Like he's missing out on something there, you know. He's, he's yeah. missing out on that closeness. So I think it's important that we that we know that you can't expect someone who spent, you know, say you've just become a dad and you spent 30 years without people hugging you, with people mm. shaking your hands and not giving you a hug. And then we're like, here's this baby. Be soft and tender and delicate and intimate. I think it's important to realise that that's hard for a lot of blokes. And for yep. a lot of blokes, they'll go, oh, you look after the baby, I'll go to work because I know the rules there and I'm competent and mm. and. You know, I do a good job and people say, good on you, Steve, you've done a good job. Whereas I come home and I'm supposed to be soft and tender and delicate. And that's that's a really foreign space for, for a lot of men. Uh, and yeah. even when you think about young, young blokes growing into relationships, like, you know, they don't see, you know, girls in schoolyards tend to be hugging and, and, and soft and doing each other's hair. And, and boys in, in the world where I am aren't doing that kind of stuff. So when they get into those close contact They're busy playing bull rush and spear tackling each other exactly. at lunchtime. Yeah. Exactly. Trying not so to break each other's collarbones. Yeah. Are they practiced in negotiating intimate spaces? So when yeah. we talk around consent, I'm actually not surprised that there's women saying I've been assaulted by a man because we're not teaching young men how to actually soft and tender and delicate in those spaces. And we're teaching them you're supposed to have all the answers and you're supposed to know what to do. So as a 17-year-old, you have a couple of beers and you go upstairs with a person. Are we helping those boys to, to be able to say, oh, are you into this? I'd like to do this. Is that what you're yep. into? They think that, that a lot of them think that's a sign of weakness and that's actually not what we want from anymore. We want them to know that that person that you're with is on the same page and that takes skills. In intimacy. Well, we're also with that, that example as well. We're back to where has your education on that stuff come from? And it's come from a world where consent is, um, it's a, it's a strange concept basically yeah. online. It's, uh, and it's not, you don't see that conversation before the intercourse of the sex. It's just mm. sex. And it's, it's kind of skipped that whole thing. So yeah, it's it's another very interesting part of, of it all, you know. Yeah, I think we need to, as as parents and as as leaders of young men, we need to make our voices louder than the voices of the culture that they're living in. We need to even more so. We need to find, help them to find their own voice. Yeah. 
so that when they're battered with all these images from Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube and Reddit and all these other sites, mm. like we need to help young blokes and blokes of all ages, men of, of, of my age and your age, to be, you know, really strong in my own inner voice so I'm not dragged off track by, by who other people want me to be and, and how other people want me to be. And if someone else wants me to have six beers and drive home, well, I can decide what's important to me and, and I'm not going to do that, you know. Mm. Whereas, whereas if I'm weak in, in my own idea of what kind of man I want to be, well, I might go along with someone else's idea of what being a tough guy is and, and drive home with six beers under my belt and kill some random pedestrian. Mm. That's not the life I want to create for myself, you know. Yeah. And I guess that's been interesting for me now as a father with two girls. So I'm now also going, right, they're going to be exposed to young men, blokes and everything like that. And, and one, it's educating my girls to have a, a sense of self-confidence and, and what they need as well. But then also, yeah, what can I do for the, the flip side of the guys they may be um, dealing with as a horrible way, of, but interacting with, you know? Yeah. Actually, yeah. So it's, um, I don't know, I, I think it's an ongoing learning process, which I enjoy. That's it's the other side of it. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's tricky. I think there's a lot we can do you, when we talk about that respect for women and, and violence against women. I think there's a real appetite out there now for that, that not to be just a women's problem. And I think us yeah. as men, we've, we've got a chance to, to see those little interactions and, and those things in, in, in men's spaces when, when we're in a group of men and someone's making sexist jokes misogynistic jokes jokes about mistreatment of wisdom you know we've got a choice in that moment we can laugh along or we can say nothing or we can say that's not funny or we can we can even go further and, and pull that bloke aside and have a chat mm. about it but whatever you want to do it's a it's a choice and i think the world is saying you know we want men to stand up in that in that yep. area and help men to to well, leave in the, in the treatment of women is, is a bit of a, a- Tan- tangent as well it's something that comes up but again you like you say there's conversations it's like you know i i the thing comes up with um or used to doesn't as much but occasionally does smacking kids or uh, you know yeah. hitting kids or stuff like that and you will have the old old fellas young fellas i mean this is i guess is the other thing it's not always old fellas it's sometimes middle-aged or young guys because where have they learned it's not just yeah. we can't dismiss it and go oh that's the old generation that's just what they do but someone will talk about, you know, well, I was I was hit or I, I was smacked or disciplined or whatever it was, and I turned out okay. And that's always why I flip around and say, well, yeah, except you're now trying to justify hitting children. Mm. So you're all good, apart from you somehow think it's okay and acceptable to hit kids, but you turned out all right, except yeah. the violence towards kids things. So, but yeah, that is a challenge, especially if you're in your social circle and the majority of people, are, you don't think they are going to be necessarily turn and there's that weird point where you say something and then someone else says something to reinforce your suggestion and then suddenly the tides can turn very quickly and i guess it's for a lot of things i think we just need to get to the point where there's enough of us saying no that's not okay so the new social norm becomes no we don't do that no we don't behave that way and, yeah, and uh, even to have a deeper conversation with it, like your mate who's like, oh, I smacked my kids and I'm going, it's like, well, how was that for you? How, yeah. how, how did you find that to actually unpack that a little deeper? Because from what I've read, the science suggests that that it doesn't actually have 
huge benefits and it can have significant, it doesn't always have significantly traumatic experiences, sure. but it, it can leave some kids feeling like that's not a safe place. And if you want to create that stronger relationship, is that something that's going to help you to bring in, you know? So I think it's worth those of us that did have those sort of things, uh, you know, those parenting, aggressive parenting styles perpetuated on us, perpetrated on us, um, like what was that like for you? And and is there, is there another way? And look, I'll be the first to admit that parenting is really, really hard. And, mm. and you know, I don't think um, I don't think most people make those kind of choices because they're because they're trying to um, um, you know make their kids feel yeah. better. Yeah, that can be the that can be the responses. And sometimes then they're, they're actually just not the most effective parenting strategies. Well, sometimes they don't know what is what what is the vocabulary. What else can I do? What other what other ways can I deal with that as well? And they're going to yeah. revert to what what their childhood was or what they feel is maybe that that's what needs to be done. So yeah, and sometimes I can remember a, a parenting expert talking to me about protective use of force. And sometimes if your kid's going to run out into the road, you yeah. you will have to physically restrain them. And, and there's times where you do have to get physical with kids. So so it's mm. sometimes not as clear as saying yep. You know, spacking bad, cuddling good. It's it's a, it's a lot more yeah. complex than that. And and I think really for me, the answer is in hearing each other's stories. How how was that for you? Like what mm. was going on for you when you when you chose to whack your kid on the bum? And did you even choose it? Was it just an automatic reaction? Yeah. And what else could you choose differently next time? And yeah, and yeah, I don't well, think like, we're anywhere without really finding that place of empathy and, and understanding what's actually going on for us in that moment. Well, I know for myself where the points where I've gotten so wound up that I feel like I'm nearly ready to hit one of my kids. At mm. that point for me, it's now I'm at that stage where at least there's that microsecond where I go, hang on, hang on a minute, Kerry, you're about to lose control. You need yeah. to step back from this point because you're about to go into a, a semi-automatic mode where you've just run mm. out of, you know, and normally I take a step back and then go, you, what I really need to do is go and have a nap because I'm tired, because I haven't had the amount of sleep I need or I had a bad night's sleep or something completely unrelated to the kid has got me wound up and they were just enough to try and tip me. But that was not, that's not going to make anything better because if I, I know if I actually did that, I'd feel terrible about it for a long time yeah. afterwards and compound it to where I was anyway. So there's a so, skill in, in finding that moment and, and practising that pause and taking a breath that's a yeah. real skill that I think we need to nurture as men. Going back to that whole idea that we're supposed to have the answers, we're supposed to fix things. Like sometimes actually taking a pause makes us makes us better at that. Mm. And then the other thing is acknowledging that actually parenting in the modern world is is hard. It's yep. it's a relatively recent phenomenon that that two working parents are supposed to look after your kids by yourselves with very little support from uncles and aunties and and all. It, it's just not what, it's plain and simply, it's not what we're built for. We're yep. attempting to parent in a really abnormal circumstance. So the more we can build in that sense of community where we can, you know, co-parent and, and share the parenting load with the, the neighbours and the uncles and aunties and all those kind of people, it's just goes back again to that lack of community. It's a bit like that rite of passage thing. When you mm. when we step into fatherhood, are we surrounded by a community then? Are there are there mentors and and older men in our life saying, this is what was hard for me about parenting and this is how I've tried to stay on track. And I, I don't think we're we're supporting men to step into into fatherhood in, in really healthy ways as well, because we lack that sense of community. Mm. 
Well, I think that's it. And, and talking again to this, uh, Mike King down here in New Zealand, like I said, his focus was on the kids, but I was very aware that for us to focus on the kids, we need to sort ourselves out as blokes beforehand as well. It's not as easy as just going, oh, it's all about the kids. It is about the kids because they're the next generation on, but to to facilitate that and to help them along as much as we can, we really do need to sort our own stuff out first so that we can then just model that to the next generation as well. Yeah, 100%. We've got to have the courage to actually look inside and say, you know, what has shaped me as a man, which, you know, what was that parenting situation like for me and and how I was treated by my mum and my dad and and yep. because it's not just men that are aggressive. Sometimes it's our, it's our mum that yelled at us or, yep. or whatever. It's like which bits of that do I want to carry with me and which bits are um, are not, not working for me and which bits, you know, what kind of father do I want to be? So, look, for me, the big question is for the men we need to be thinking about is who do I want to be? Mm. What kind of man do I want to be? What kind of father do I want to be? What kind of human being do I want to be? What kind of coworker, brother, mate? Like when we can really answer that question, then and and you know find a way of reminding ourselves of that, I think life just starts to get easier. Yeah. So for for you over there in Australia, you're doing the the retreats and courses. You said you also do a a course for the course leaders or, or train up the people who want to yeah. develop their own. Yeah, so I do a um, I do father son camps and mother son camps and and the good blokes retreat as well as some works in schools and corporate spaces, um, and I also have a training which is called how to run a men's gathering. So that's for anyone who wants to run a father son camp or a or a blokes weekend or a healthier version of a bucks party or whatever that might be. Mm. I've got one coming up here in Perth in in WA soon. Um, and if I get the demand, I'll run one online as well. So if, so if there's people out there who are interested in that, of, regardless of gender, hit me up and I'll put you on the list. And if I get a bunch of people who are into it, we'll try and run mm-hmm. through those steps of how to create that safety, how to design a program and how to get, get blokes and, and young blokes deeper into those, those conversations. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly that was, the, that, was that course that, got me i was like oh that is something i would like to head along to and get along to modern times with with border restrictions and everything suddenly the online side of things does it goes okay well that that will potentially happen in a shorter period than actually getting yeah. over there yeah. so much like a lot of the guys i know over stateside for the courses and stuff they do there it's like for a few years now it's been like i'll get over there australia is a lot closer than the u.s to be <laughs> fair but at the same time it seems like the other at the moment seems like the other side of the world for many things so yeah it's yeah that's for so, sure. So for people wanting to find out more stuff, what's the best bet? Your website and socials? Yeah, so the, the website is www.goodblokes.co and they can find me on Instagram at goodblokesco. Uh, and if you search Good Blokes Co on, on uh, Facebook, it'll come up there as well. And, and look, this is my, my favourite thing to talk about. So if people have got questions about what I do or, or um, want to have a chat about it, yeah, absolutely reach out. I, I love talking about... Um, men choosing to lead and create more spaces for for young blokes and for for their mates and forever whoever that might be so yeah hit me up and we'll have a chat yep and certainly i mean for people who are on goodblokes.nz it's like i i have put a link up to your site on there as well because i kind of realized it's a different different methodology different areas along that path but um heading towards a similar sort of thing, I think. So I, I think, look, I think we desperately need that. We need blokes doing podcasts. We need blokes doing camping trip. We need blokes teaching bush survival skills. We need blokes mm. gathering over, you know, fishing. We need, 
We need uh, men writing books. We need, you know, all of the different versions of it. We just need blokes to get talking more and connecting on a deeper level and really building those social networks and knowing how to support each other and, um, and guiding each other towards better versions of, of, of healthy manhood. And, and my version of it is only one version of it. And, and so if people can take, you know, a tiny thing that they've heard here and take it off into their, um, into whatever else it is they're doing, um, then I think that's a really positive thing. Cool. Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you just got back from one of your retreats. I need to go unpack all the fishing gear and, and try and wash the salt water off that and deal with that as well. So, uh, Mike, thank you again very much for your time, mate. It's been appreciated. Absolute pleasure, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Love the chat. Cheers.